everyone. Welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chong. Hey y'all, good morning and good evening to all my listeners around the world. Not much new with me, just overall working a lot and juggling many different projects in life, as all of us are. But enough about me, let's just get right on to this week's guest, the wonderful Natalie Sanchez, an interdisciplinary artist, social justice arts educator, and arts advocate, raised and rooted in Los Angeles. She graduated with her BA in art history and studio arts with an emphasis on education from Loyola Marymount University and received her MFA in public practice from Otis College of Art and Design. Natalie has developed and led visual arts and museum education programs at Artworks LA, Avenue 50 Studio, Fowler Museum at UCLA, the Museum of Contemporary Art Los Angeles, and PS Arts. In 2016, Natalie founded the Arts Education and Social Justice Book Club as a direct response to the U.S. presidential election and in the hopes of cultivating a community of thought partners and change makers in arts education. Currently, the Arts Education and Social Justice Book Club has over 350 members worldwide and continues to grow. Natalie and I talk about all these projects, along with how to marry art and community, having advocates, holding accountability, and making friends. Natalie was a joy to talk to, and I hope you can join her in the upcoming book club meetings. Until then, stay safe and healthy, and I hope you enjoy this. Yes. Oh my goodness, where should I begin? I I feel like it's important to when like talking about oneself to think about like the family and mm-hmm. you know, kind of like those roots. And for me, I am a daughter of immigrants. My mother was a raised in Colombia, one of many children, and uh, immigrated to the United States when she was a teenager. Uh And actually, my father in New York Uh at the time, and he came from Ecuador. And so they were together, eventually, you know, found themselves in California Uh and built a life together. I'm uh, the middle child of three. Of three, okay. And so I think that's also important in terms of thinking about positionality. Do you get the middle child syndrome of not getting enough attention? I would like to think of it more as I was a mediator (laughs) many of the time. Okay, okay. And my younger sibling was the only boy. My brother has autism. And when we were growing up in uh, Southeast LA, that, you know, or just generally speaking, that was just not as well known as it is today. Mm-hmm, that was yeah. also kind of interesting perspective to gain as a young person growing up. And not to mention, you know, eventually our family, I guess, if you will, like got a little smaller. Uh, when I was about four or five, my parents did divorce and my <sighs> mother was the primary caregiver. And so mm-hmm. growing up in a single parent household, I think is also an, like kind of another layer to it, right? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It really does yeah. inform your world. And at that, 
I was raised in Southeast Los Angeles. And I okay. I think it's interesting because, I mean, Los Angeles is so, you know. It's so big. Especially comparably speaking right, to other major metropolitans in the United States. Yes. It's so large. It's so vast. However, you're not familiar with the many different neighborhoods and corners of Los Angeles County. You would never know, like, what the difference between, you know, maybe the West Side and the East Side is, mm-hmm. let alone mm-hmm. the Southeast uh, Los Angeles mm-hmm. region. And so I just remember just specifically, you know, when I got into college, I would begin by saying, I feel like the common questions aside from what's your major is like, where are you from? Right. Yeah. And which yeah. is always a loaded question. Right. <laughs> uh, let yeah. alone is like, who are you? Yeah. And especially for immigrant families where you're from. Right. Yeah. Right. And and so for me, you know, I was primarily raised in a city, a small city called Cudahy. And so when I would attempt to say that to other people, even people that were raised in Los Angeles, right, just a different maybe part of Los Angeles, yeah, yeah, they almost immediately would be like, cut a what? <laughs> and I just was like, <laughs> I got that so frequently that yeah. I eventually just kind of like decided to say, oh, I'm Southeast Los Angeles. <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, which even then to many folks, it was still kind of like, kind of vague, you know, in terms of maybe their mental map of like, wait a minute, right? what's in Southeast Los Angeles? And there's quite a few things yeah, yeah, to be yeah. told by and large. And I would say even today, it's it's smaller cities, however, very densely populated. I think the statistic might still stand. Cudahy is the second smallest city in Los Angeles County, and it was the most densely populated wow. in the country. And so just to give you kind of a mm. little understanding of, mm. you know, it's predominantly a Latinx working class, a lot of undocumented folks, and just people just really mm-hmm. trying. So a little bit in terms of just when I say, like, I'm from Los Angeles, <laughs> like, I mean, like, I, I've been rooted in Los Angeles. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I have to say, growing up in the 90s in particular, you know, it was really rough. Right? It was a really rough time. I'm sure for many, many other folks too. Yeah. I lived on, say for example, I lived on Clara Street in Cudahy and there was a Clara Street gang. Okay. So it was like maybe every night or every other night I would hear like the hissing of the spray cans. Really? They would be okay. tagged on the wall adjacent uh, to our home. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I distinctly remember growing up where every night I would hear gunshots and it just became like the soundtrack that I became familiar with, right? Growing up that I specifically recall the first night I moved into my dorm and I went to Loyola Marymount University. So it was on the West side. So it's like, uh-huh. still in Los Angeles, however. Right, right, right. It's it's a different culture. <laughs> it's East side, West side. Yeah, and I, yeah. I remember yeah. I said out loud to my roommate, I was like, oh, wow, there's no gunshots. And I just remember she looked at me like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And I, I would, <laughs> I was yeah. trying to comment on like yeah, how what's wrong with it was, you know, <laughs> until you're outside, yeah, right, yeah, or like yeah. in a totally different space, you you start realizing the differences, and you're like, hey, wait a minute, yeah, yeah. Basically, what I meant to say is, wow, there's no noise pollution, and uh, and of course, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, brought up other questions maybe for my roommate at the time too. But anywho, you know, fast forward, I did, you know, graduate high school, went into college. I attempted to follow in my sister's footsteps. So she at the time, my older sibling, 
uh, went to Mount St. Mary's College. And, you know, that was a big deal. My mother, when she graduated high school, she was the first of her, all her siblings to graduate high school growing up in Columbia. And that was a privilege because high school, Uh you do have to pay for it at the time. And so she was only able to attend because she received a scholarship. Mm. And so for me too, you know, thinking about college, you know, I, Mm. I definitely relied on scholarships and, you know, just generally speaking, a lot of uh, support systems. And so when I ultimately decided on a private school, which was like something I didn't think at the time I would do, (laughs) but I did because I was so accustomed to public school education that, you know, I think I, you know, I was just like this very eager to leave Karahe because I just knew that there was so much potential out there. And if anything, what I felt the most growing up in that city was I felt like we were forgotten in a lot of ways. And, and I say that too, because if uh, you do any research on the history of Karahe, Mm. or at least the more recent history, there's a lot of um, city corruption. And so um, not to mention, it was just kind of, though very populated, mm. it just seemed kind of desolate at times or just kind of a little abandoned, if you will. And so for me, just like my eyes were set. I was like, I, I want to, I want to, yeah. oh yeah. Like I want to go to college. And it was more just kind of at the point, like where I was like, okay, I just have to make a decision. Yeah, yeah. And it was yeah. between UCLA and LMU. And I ultimately selected LMU because it gave me a little bit more financial aid. That's interesting because I thought UCLA is supposed to be a really, really good deal for for LA residents or Cali Cali residents, right? It's definitely competing in terms of like trying to, like, um, in terms of supporting with the, the financial aid. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, lo and behold, you know, it, it, in large part too, you know, thinking about going into college, I had all these you know high school teachers and mentors that really supported me both in terms of like my curiosity, you know, and academically speaking. And then also one in particular, my art history, my AP art history teacher, Miss Parker, mm-hmm. who was super inspirational and really piqued my interest in art history. Granted, I did take the Western mm-hmm. survey, but you know, this vegan, mm-hmm. atheist, yeah. gothic wearing, like, you know, just teacher, you know, this young teacher who truly challenged us as, as high school students and and after that like I was mm. like okay I want to learn more yeah and so I went into LMU I started off as a graphic design major truth be told because really I'm because because you because you get a job right <laughs> I'm sure like a lot of you know both in terms of like immigrant families as well as just you know just the idea is once you graduate yeah. you get a job right and to appease you know yeah, my yeah father yeah who's a business person, <laughs> like I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I'm going to be a graphic designer. Cause it, for me, it's like, I could break make ads for Nike. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I could work for a company. I can, you know, I can make money. And so I, I did it for one semester and I realized it was one assignment that I was in the basement level where the computer lab was. And I was sitting there for 10 hours straight doing one assignment. Right. Yeah. And when I finally realized the time I was like oh my goodness like did that just happen like did I just (laughs) did I just yeah you enjoyed it you enjoyed it so much that that time just disappeared (laughs) well actually on the contrary it was when I started volunteering where I saw the contrast (laughs) right like it was just like oh I I started Uh volunteering as a 
what was called an art mentor for uh, the service learning program, this teaching art to a kindergarten class, uh-huh. a school nearby. Okay. Called it, the program was called Art Smart, and for the first time, kind of like serving as this role model, as this educator to these kindergarten students, and teaching something that I really loved. Right. Art. Right. And I felt so fulfilled. I felt like it was like a completely different feeling. Right. And I'm just like, mm. that was the moment I was like, all right, changing my major. <laughs> like, um, and, and eventually adding on art history, just because again, yeah. you know, a lot of the influences from my art, AP art history teacher, but of, of course, you know, also coming to find out, you know, LMU was, and still is, you know, very active when it comes to community service. Right. Generally speaking. And so I started doing a lot more, you know, participating in different community projects, different service learning opportunities. And yes, and seeing how I could merge art education with, you know, working within different communities. And so, you know, lo and behold, (laughs) when I got into graduate school, that's something I was very much interested in. I was like, I want to know, you know, like, you know, how exactly do you marry art, right. visual arts, for the most part, you know, working within community and these social justice, you know, kind of work right, that I was right. interested in. And I, right, I even right. remember at the time I had a mentor who kind of just looked at me one day in undergrad and was like, you know, you're, you're a social justice arts educator. And I looked at him and I was like, oh my gosh, like I've never heard the term up until that point. And I totally just embraced it because I was like, you know what? That is what I do. That's something I'm working on and working towards. And I have to say at the time, though, there was the literature was limited. Let's just say that, right? Like, I mean, not to mention just even the general vernacular, like kind of vocabulary that we have today, you know, that didn't exist then, right? When we're talking about social justice work, it just, you know, the term microaggression, like didn't, you know, right? Like that wasn't a term. Yeah, And, And I do know too, going into... LMU or just mm-hmm. college in general, like it was a huge culture shock for me. It was the only one for my high school. Wow. That's, that's, and that's amazing. Mention, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention, you know, it is a private school and there was plenty of my peers that came from, you know, privilege and wealth. And that was just not my story. That wasn't my upbringing. That, that's something that was very foreign to me. Yeah. And so probably like a huge adjustment to all that, right? I mean, I, I mean, that's, that's generally one of the issues, right? With a lot of these colleges and in this, in their diversifying efforts is they don't actually recognize those differences and then how, how to create a sort of support system for that, right? And support systems are vital because I mean, yes, you can get into college, right? You could get into a program, but it's, yeah, you know, like how are you going to, you know, continue and complete it? Most importantly, and, you know, I have to say during my time there, I did start seeing certain programs pop up, which I I did want to like go ahead and just take advantage of. So it's like if the moment Mm. I heard anything remotely close to like supporting, you know, students of color, I was like, yes, sign me up. I'm on board. Like, how can I learn more? (laughs) What can I do? You know, and also how can I be of service? Yeah, I'm there. Yeah, I think that's the other thing, too. It's like it's and still like at the time, you know, like I'm. I'm still trying to figure out my identity and I'm just like, you know, like how do I identify and and how do I, you know, like I too, you know, was trying to find my voice. I, I started college when I was 17 Wow. and it's primarily because my, my birthday falls in November, (laughs) right? Like it's just like later on. And you, so you were doing art and art history, right? Yeah. I ended up double majoring in art and art history. And that was also, you know, very much because I had, advocates 
And I had people that showed support in the work and some of the, just my interests. Yeah. Like I was able to very much, I would say I would, I was able to like befriend my professors and, yeah. and I was able to and have, they would reciprocate and everything. Yeah. Right. Like it's just, you're able to have like those deeper, you know, more significant, meaningful discussions, even outside of the class. And I have to say, you know, when it came to the studio arts component, because I emphasize in education, which was also a relatively new program, the arts education program, that I still took like studio arts courses, right? I took my, you know, my painting and my drawing. Painting, and my sculpture. <laughs> my sculpture. And those, yeah. And, yeah. And I did have, you know, both the director of the arts ed program, like, you know, just kind of maybe just saw something in me or like, you know, like was, was really intrigued. By Your enthusiasm, <laughs> which is infectious. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I, I'm very thankful that I was able to have a working relationship with them. And even after I graduated, right. Which I think is important because I know yeah. there were so many other students, you know, you would hear eventually, especially like come your junior year, you're like, you should start networking. And I remember being like, that sounds like such a corporate yeah, concept yeah. You know? <laughs> or like very transactional. And I, I was very much put off by it. So <laughs> in my mind. So what does that mean in the arts too? Right. Not to mention, <laughs> this is a good question. Uh, Cause it's true too. You know, like we, you know, in my mind, the way I interpreted was I'm like, Oh, I'm going to make friends. Right. Like you make friends and you develop and eventually, you know, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. they grow, you have more friends. And then there's this community. Right. Right. <laughs> And it continues to grow and it's like, how does it flourish? Right. Yeah, how does it, yeah, yeah, how does yeah. it, how, also how do you sustain it? Right. <laughs> like, truth be told, like, it's like, you have to maintain these working relationships or just even mm -hmm. just friendships. Yeah. Right. Like that's where right. some of them are, some of them are. And so I'm, I'm happy. That was like one thing earlier on. I'm happy I adopted that concept of like, I want to make friends, you know, and I want to be able to, mm. you know, have a, a level of like, intellectual fulfillment in like the conversations we have in the way that they're able to challenge me or I'm able to ask critical questions to them as well you know it's, it's that kind of dialogue and it's like yeah yeah this is good you know <laughs> so I had that you know with some of my peers as well as with faculty which I felt like yeah 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 um you know not only like beneficial of course and in, in other you know more technical ways of like yeah resumes you know helping me with resumes or recommendation letters but more than that, you know, it's, I, I think it's, it's brought um, more perspective too when we're thinking about just, you know, both in terms of, I mean, if you will, generally speaking, like intergenerational conversations that I think are, are yeah. sorely lacking in a yeah. lot of areas. And also, you know, just thinking about mentorship, yeah. broadly speaking. And for me, I was so open to that. Mm -hmm. I was so open. I felt like, because that's another aspect of mentorship, right? You have to be like open to, to receiving mm -hmm. as much as, you know, like they are to, to giving, right? Giving of their time and energy. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, yeah. And, you know, lucky for me, I was able to find some of those, you know, key mentors, like my ceramics professor, my, you know, the director of arts ed. Yeah. Even I was able to connect with other folks outside of my program and department, and I think because we were more or less on like the same wavelength or just like had just general commonalities <laughs> interests, like we were able to connect on different levels. Yeah. And and like, obviously, you know, this idea of mentorship is is continuing on to your work today. But like before you did that, like you, like you quickly mentioned, you got your MFA from Otis and public practice. And so, you know, how many years did you take up in between and how did you decide 
go to Otis? That's a great question because I also recall, you know, so many juniors and seniors at the time and just in, like, you know, undergrad in general, like there's this, these expectations that start growing of like, oh, what you should be doing or like what the next steps, you know, like many people going straight into grad school and yeah, yeah. or like, you know, getting that internship yeah, yeah. or even getting the job, which is great. <laughs> yeah. However, you know, I have to say as an art major, you know, that's, that can look very different, right? <laughs> that's like, uh, because it's not like the idea is like, oh, you're going to be a full-time artist. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, no, no. There's no, there's no clear path to that. Yeah, maybe arts educator. I think, I, you know, that was definitely something I thought about. However, I also kind of wanted to just like continue opening up more. So I didn't, I, I have to admit, like I didn't mm. go for the, into education directly um, or I didn't get my credential. And so I did, however, you know, lean a little bit more into my community service. Mm. And there was a program I participated, I, I applied for and I, I was accepted and, and ended up participating in. And it was the Good Shepherd, Good Shepherd Volunteers. Okay. And it was a full-time volunteer gig, you know, with their pillars of social justice and service, right? Spirituality and community and simple living. And so I was just like, you know what? Like, if not now, when? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, when? I'm going to do something like this. Uh, I have to say at the time, you know, there were other students that had already participated in not only that program or similar programs like that. Right. And, right. Yeah. And so I was like, let me give it a shot. And, yeah. and then there's that foundation from the other students as well. Right. Sort of leading the way. Mm-hmm. And and so, if you will, that was like my personal development. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was like an extension of my personal, not, yeah. just, not just professional. Uh, but not to say I didn't, you know, I, I was a part of Good Shepherd Services, provided support to pr- primarily foster care youth and young adult in New York. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to to live in New York for a year. I lived in community mm. and uh, with others. And it just so happens. What was that transition? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. I was like, what is that? What was that transition like? Because L.A. and New York are such different places and spaces in so many ways. They most certainly are. <laughs> and it was always kind of interesting because I understood, especially in, in the art world, I understood the kind of this rivalry that would go on between like East and West Coast. Uh, yeah. It's like, which one's the yeah, art yeah, capital? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is it New York? Is it LA? And and I have to say, I love New York for so many. So there's so many reasons to love New York, right? Like it's it has a thriving arts you know scene. And I mean, to the point where like every weekend mm-hmm. I told myself, I'm going to go to at least one art show and I was able to do so, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I was able yeah, to, like it's crazy that way. you know, hop on this awesome subway that takes me wherever I wanted to go mm-hmm. and, and, you know, walk around, uh-huh, um, yeah. which I have to admit, that's not something you could really do in LA. Uh, um, not really, no. <laughs> kind of, you know, you have to take a, you know, transportation of some sort. <laughs> And like, I was able to see the seasons, which was, I have to say, kind of a magical experience. Granted, I'm not a huge fan of their summers. Nevertheless. But you like their winters? Surprisingly, I was able to tolerate it. I, I was a little scared yeah. at first because I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, did you say freezing? Like, I was like, what does that feel like? <laughs> uh, but uh, lucky for me too, I have family that lives in New York. So I was able to also uh, kind of okay. connect with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my time's off because I was working full time. I was working at an independent living facility for f- primarily um, women, women identified foster youth. Okay. Or young, young adults, better said. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. And and I have to admit, there was this like 
one quick funny story just to show you the difference between, and I'm, I'm convinced it has to do with weather, but maybe, maybe someone's going to prove me wrong. You know, coming from LA, I felt like, you know, we're, again, we're spoiled with the sun and maybe there's this, you know, general assumption that we're like happier or cheer, cheerful or. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I go, <laughs> I go to New York and of course there's like a month solid where it's like gray and rain. Yeah. It's yeah. like everyone's wearing yeah. black, different shades of black or, uh-huh. or yeah, gray. Yeah. <laughs> like that's just the, yeah, that's, that's the color palette. And I remember looking outside one day and I was at work and I was like, Oh, look, it's sprinkling. And my colleague looks at me at the time and she's like, did you just say sprinkling? And I was like, yeah, look, like, and she's like, no, it's drizzling. And I was just like, she's all like, sprinkles go on cupcakes. We don't say that here. <laughs> and I was like, oh. I've never heard that. Never heard <laughs> and I was that. like, oh, I guess, <laughs> like, I, I, I guess maybe, maybe because it doesn't rain as, as, as much or as, uh, yeah. as it does here in New York, but uh, that's something I, I would say. I would say something here in LA. I was like, oh, it's pretty yeah. Cool. It's like a light rain, <laughs> but I just thought it was interesting. Like just the, the nuances, right? <laughs> and the cars and everything. It took me, I lived in LA for two years and I had a hard time adjusting as someone who grew up mostly on the East Coast. So. Yes. Yeah. I remember hearing a lot of those comments too. I would hear it from, from people who I would meet in New York. Yeah, something yeah. to that effect uh, about like how they couldn't live here because of all the traffic. And I was like, well, traffic's very much a reality here. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. But I think I've grown accustomed, if not like I kind of, you know, you just, you just you get used it. to yeah. it. Yeah. And it's I was like, part it's a of part it. of the yeah. LA experience. <laughs> you didn't have traffic. Yeah. Then. <laughs> it wouldn't be LA. <laughs> Being stuck in the 101, listening to your personal playlist on loop over and over and over again. Yes, I'm I'm afraid for, you know, a lot of LA folks, it's it's all too common, especially before the pandemic, where you know you'd be driving for whether it doesn't even matter the distance, right? It's like you're still mm-hmm. gonna be in sometimes hours of traffic. Yeah. You know, like and so uh yeah. and let's not even talk about rush hour, but yeah, the traffic's <laughs> definitely come back. <laughs> I could tell you that much. Yeah. Yes, yes. So then so then you were uh you spent a year in New York and then after that year you applied to Otis? Yes, I applied to a couple of schools that I, you know, came to find out, like, you know, had a type of social or public practice program, graduate program. And Otis was the school that I was, I mean, I definitely was, I got a little homesick at one point, not going to lie. I was just thinking like, well, it'd be nice to go back to LA, you know, but the thought definitely occurred to me that it's like, well, maybe I could stick around for a little while. (laughs) I wasn't quite tethered, right? Like I was like, well, yeah. You know, I, I don't like, there's a chance, right? I don't have a mortgage. I don't have kids. I don't have, you know, like, <laughs> I just had a car at the time. So it's just like, okay, like I'll just figure out car payments. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I ended up applying and I got accepted. So I came back to LA and it was just like soon after I, I, I started the program and I did, you know, come to find out it, it, it was a really young program at the time. I was part of the second cohort yeah, and I yeah. guess it, Interestingly enough, I started realizing that was a bit of a pattern for me. I was like, well, like I, I, I was already a part of like, for example, my undergrad program, which was a new arts ed program. Right? So I was like, yeah, I was like, am yeah, I a yeah, guinea yeah. pig or is this like me being adventurous? You're just, you're just cutting edge. You're just cutting edge. <laughs> but I, I was like, well, let me give it a shot. And I did. Yeah. It was a two-year program. Were you only looking for like sort of social practice MFAs? I, I was at the time for me you know, working within communities, 
especially communities mm-hmm. of color and you know, seeing how I can, I could really take this art practice. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this seems like the right program. Mm-hmm. And I was at the time also, you know, reading Suzanne Lacey's work. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, I was like, oh my God, she's such like an art star. <laughs> you know, like it's Suzanne mm-hmm. Lacey. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I apply and I, I meet her and I'm just like, oh my God. I met Suzanne Lacey. Like, <laughs> like she's the director of my program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I was, you know, starstruck for a second. And then, you know, quickly, it's like you just hop into like your coursework. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, it's work. It is work. You yeah, know, yeah. when you really think about it, especially our first year project as a cohort, immediately start working within this small rural town called Layton in Central California. And okay. we were there. Uh, so it's like a three hour drive about from LA. Three hours. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, me and my the car that could would uh, make that commute. I would carpool typically. And we would go up as part of a, one of our courses. And we were working with this, you know, rural town, primarily our agricultural city that uh, was made up of 1200 folks. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, it was a grant that was that the program was able to receive in order for us as a as a team to continue to do our work up there so we'd go up mm. you know do work come back <laughs> and then attend our other courses what was the final result of that that project yes it was multiple months in the making and eventually you know after working with different community members there were actually quite a few different projects that culminated in this larger performative it was called latent live okay <laughs> and it it brought together all the folks it, almost kind of like a, a fair a fair like mm. uh, atmosphere mm-hmm. and it either exhibited let's say for example you know these sculptures that one of the uh, my peers worked with the local high school uh, students on as well as these interviews these video interviews uh, we had done with all the local merchants so really highlighting mm. the downtown area right, right. And yeah. the, the different components that made up this city. So largely the conversation at the time was kind of thinking about the like downtown. Oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember actually uh, Obama was saying it at the time, kind of like, oh shoot, I can't recall the term. Obama was there? No, no, no. I meant like in terms of the context of like the president was talking about how do you like revive Revitalize? downtown areas, uh, yeah, especially yeah. after yeah. the recession. And so, right, right. Um, our focus was kind of similar in the same vein of like, how do mm. we revive and very, very much try to stimulate and kind of also showcase, you know, the, the beauty of this small town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Itself. And so we did it through the arts, both like performative, sculptural, different, different mediums and video work too. And so at this point, were your, were your parents worried? Because, you know, you initially started as a graphic designer to appease your father to make sure you had a job. And then now you go back to art school. And then you're going to like a public practice program. I feel like, you know, if you're not in, in necessarily in the arts and even a lot of art people aren't entirely sure what that means. Right. So like at this point, are, you, are your parents worried or they're like, oh, okay, you know, Natalie's got this. It took me a little while to realize that, you know, my mother, again, primary caregiver, this whole time was always a, a huge support for me. That's good. And it's so funny because she showed it in different ways. She wasn't as direct Mm. (laughs) telling me that, (laughs) but, you know, in her own ways, she would communicate how, how much she, you know, she wanted me to, to, she wanted to see me succeed. But then again, she never Mm. really gave me those, those limitations of what, or these level of expectation of what I should do. (laughs) It's interesting because 
you know, one day I just asked her, like, I was like, Hey mom, you know, like growing up, like, was there anything you ever like thought, you know, like, Oh yeah. Like you grow up, I want you to be this or do this. Yeah. And she looked at me and it was the funniest thing. She looked at me, she kind of paused. And then she was like, She's like, well, I don't know, maybe a dancer. You used to like to dance. dance. <laughs> and I just started laughing. And I was like, oh my gosh, mom. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, and I was like, well, first of all, yes. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I, I enjoy dancing, but then again, I never even took a dance class. And for me, <laughs> you know, what that really communicated was she made it my decision, right? She made it mm-hmm. my choice. Mm-hmm. And yeah. There's there's something really beautiful in that because I don't get me wrong, like in undergrad, I do specifically recall, especially within, you know, the Latinx community, you know, I would hear that a lot. Like I would hear, oh, you know, like I have to be a business major or else my yeah. parents are going to yeah. support me or I have to do this or else. And there was these expectations, right, that these, you know. These students are trying so hard. Children of immigrant families, right? Yeah, not to mention, right? The majority yeah, were like, you need, to, you need to somehow show the American dream. Like, you know, like, and, and I don't fault, I don't fault anybody for that because it's true. Like, you know, ultimately, you know, I'm sure parents, they want to see their children succeed. And, you know, mm-hmm, what yeah. our def- definition of success, I'm sure, is like, you, you want to be prosperous, you want to make money so you can support yourself and others, right? Like you, and mm-hmm. how do you make money in this society? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you're a business person, or you're a doctor, or you're a lawyer, and, and not to mention, you engineer, know, yeah, yeah, like, it's also, you know, for some folks, I'm sure, like thinking about like, who are they in contact with? Who, like mm-hmm. in terms of the, like the understanding and the vocabulary to speak to like, oh yeah, like maybe you, know, you come in contact with a doctor or maybe a lawyer. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just like, yeah. oh, those, those yeah. are like viable options. That's what you can, yeah, yeah. you know, hijo, you're going to be. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's also like a clear way to do it too, right? You know, in the past, early on, my dad was like, oh, so, you know, what's the next step? How do you get a raise? You know, and I'm like, I don't know if it works like that exactly in the art world, you know? Yes, yes. It seems there can be very much a linear path. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like this is kind of alluding to earlier, whereas if there's anyone in the art world that had a linear path to where they are now, like, I would like, I would like, I would like to know. Yeah. <laughs> there's a part of it that's like, does that exist? Like, um, yeah, white because man. it just seems... <laughs> you know I, I i do you know i do see how was it this journey this creative journey that we're on yeah is is much more of a squiggly line <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah than a diagonal and yeah it and it's ever evolving yeah right? i think this last year definitely if anything, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we learned anything mm-hmm. this last year. Absolutely. It's, it's that much too. I guess during your time in your MFA, you know, you did a lot of different types of community building. And I'm curious, so, so and after, I believe, is that when you started the Arts and Education and Social Justice Book Club? Or was that while you were in Otis? That's a good question. I started that, it's like about a little over four years ago or so. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. Um, it's, it's, a little while. <laughs> and, and for the listeners who, who who are curious about it, it's it's a book club that you founded. That's you know talking about arts education and social justice books and kind of having these reading groups and kind of collect creating in a sense creating your own community. Um, and so yeah, I'm curious. You know when what was the timeline for that starting and if you could talk a little bit more about that whole process. Yes, interesting how 
things start right? <laughs> like in terms of like, mm-hmm. I look back and I, I think of the fact that I never participated in a book club up until the moment I started my own. <laughs> yeah. And I, well, you, you always a reader, right? I, I, I enjoyed um, research a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how I kind of really, truly came to it. And truth be told, it was, it was Thanksgiving uh, weekend where I, uh-huh. I was working. It was like a contracted gig. I was working at an art space. Uh-huh. Uh, it's called Ismoa and El Segundo on the west side of LA. And um, there was some downtime. And, and so I thought like, hey, I'm just going to like hop on the computer for a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and I quite literally typed in on Google like arts, education, and social justice. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. lo and behold, like the search results yielded you know, these articles and these, just these readings that I'm like, oh, like that existed this whole time. (laughs) Like, I was just like, yeah, like, wait a minute, like social justice arts education is a term now. Like, I was like, I Mm. didn't know that. I graduated from my grad program in 2010. And at that point, the last administration was recently elected. Mm. And it's late November at this point. And I have to say, it was both in terms of you know, me being pleasantly surprised that this literature now exists. Like there's, mm-hmm. you know, practitioners that just like myself, you know, like we're, we're not only interested, but we're contributing to scholarship. Mm-hmm. And I had access to it. Like lucky me, right? Like, you know, there's PDF yeah, yeah. now. And just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, there's so many lists now. Yeah. <laughs> you could just have access to these readings. Like, you know, like you don't have to buy a yeah, textbook yeah. that's like a hundred plus dollars. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, not that that's not necessarily the case, but I was like, wow, like, like, you know, vastly different than my undergrad experience, right? As I was sharing before. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, coming to mind at the time, the idea of this term called alternative facts. And I'm just kind of mm-hmm. like, wait, mm-hmm. wait a minute. Like, I, <laughs> I, um, yeah. I'm not like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, let me pause for a moment here. <laughs> like, yeah. And then I started thinking, you know, when it came to the arts specifically, yeah. how it's like, well, there might be come a point in this administration where we're going to have to start really advocating and pushing why we need the arts. Let's yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Arts education and and not take it for granted. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I remember. Yeah, there's all that talk about cutting all the funding from it. It was a really scary moment. Exactly. And and so truth be told, it was almost a direct result of, you know, the political climate at the time. And mm-hmm. me also genuinely being interested in the fact that, you know, like this, this literature, you know, does exist. And mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't it be interesting if, right? Like, I, I like being this, like, what if kind of person? Like, what if, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, what if, you know, I was able to get some folks together and we have a conversation about this short reading, mm. you know, and see, you know, like what might come of it. And, and truth be told, I used this magical tool called Facebook at the time <laughs> that I quite, you know, literally like asked that question. I just posted it yeah, yeah. In my, on my wall. I put, who wants to join? <laughs> Something to the effect of like, you know, like if I started an arts education and social justice book club, who would join me? Something to that end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to admit, like at the time, I, I, I mean, I didn't know how many people would see it, let alone respond to it or say yes. But yeah, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it was like maybe a day later, like I, I revisit it and come to, yeah. you know, like my surprise, 
there was like an overwhelming response. Mm, yeah. And, you know, I had like, I, I, I can't, I'm trying to remember, like it must've been like upwards to 50 people um, that expressed interest. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, Oh shoot. I asked the question. So I'm like, I have to follow up. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have to do something about it. Right. Like I have to take action now. And so like, it was like shortly after I put together a meeting and, mm. and really thinking about like, okay, well, if I want to practice inclusivity and accessibility, what does that mm-hmm. look like? Right. Mm. And, mm-hmm. you know, like if I were to do that under my terms, <laughs> I was just saying, right. Like how, do, how would that look like for me? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I ended up having a, a couple of conversations with a friend of mine who's also an, a museum worker and uh-huh. um, an arts educator. They were like, like, yeah, let's do it. Like, like, and so with a little encouragement, I, I, I did my first meeting at a cafe in um, kind of like the South LA area. Uh-huh. And our reading, I think it was a reading I had come across. It was a PDF social, I think with the title, uh, including social justice, arts education in it. Okay. Yeah. And it was kind of a short reading. Um, so truth be told, we don't really read entire books. <laughs> Uh, I don't think anyone does at these readings. <laughs> I've, I've I've been so many of these like recent, especially the re- with like the pandemic and everyone zooming and just like yeah, it's 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 hard to to read the whole thing, right? And I truly think it's an accessibility issue too because it's like yeah, yeah. our sometimes our own capacity, you know, like for this additional labor, right? Which mm-hmm, you know, yeah. is emotional labor too. It's like, well, w- what's realistic? And for me, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, I can read 10 pages. I'm not sure if I could read 200 pages right now, you know? Yeah, yeah, and especially when you have yeah. like a, a deadline of like a month or something yeah. like that. Let's let's read all of Karl Marx's Das Kapital, right? <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa. Like, it's almost like stressful. I feel like at that point, like, okay, how productive is this, right? Like, 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 you know, and even thinking about it as a restorative practice, right? Yeah, yeah, and so, yeah. You know, looking back now, like I remember like doing some quick assessments was on average, we read 10 pages, Mm. I would say. And Mm -hmm. for the most part, it was more recent literature, like in the last 10 years. And so they were either like maybe chapters of individuals thesis state, you know, thesis writing, Mm -hmm. or it was like an article Mm -hmm. or even like a podcast episode. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would just me and or like our would eventually become a core group of two other mm-hmm. educators, we would select a theme and then, you know, come across a reading that we thought was interesting and that would spark conversation. Mm. And and I have to say at that point, the first year or so, I was super committed to this. It was every month. Which is a lot. We had a different reading. I would like, I developed a website and I was huge on the accessibility point, especially because at that point, it was all volunteer based anyway. And I was really yeah, trying yeah. to challenge myself and like, can we make this aside from the labor, of course, like, can we make this, you know, at no cost? Right. Like even for us as, as like organizers. Yeah. And sustain it over a long period. Yeah. And and I know, you know, in the last year or so, you know, with everything going on and you know, I've, I've taken like some pauses here and there. So it hasn't quite been as monthly, <laughs> if you will, but nevertheless, there was um, these individuals that would come together and and we would have these very deep and meaningful conversations. And I have to say, 
as an educator, I think instinctually I wanted to have like guided questions and for it to like, you know, yeah, you know yeah, have yeah, like yeah. a little yeah. a template or format to run off of. And then I kind of stepped back and realized I was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm, I'm curious. And also kind of like I'm like, wait, maybe maybe I can kind of challenge myself in, in ways mm-hmm. of, of how we've been like taught to learn that like maybe it could be just organic. And so it's these mm-hmm. free flowing conversations where I quite literally like I do not have a prompt. We just come together sometimes for like newer members. I'll give a little bit of historical context of like, you know, like mm-hmm. how this came to get, you know, together and, yeah, and just yeah, the general yeah. format of it. But otherwise, it's actually what are our yeah, thoughts here? You know, and I'll just like, yeah, yeah, it's just like I'll throw out a question or like a yeah. question that came up as a result of the reading. Mm-hmm. Or again, sometimes it's podcast, sometimes it's something else. Mm-hmm. And and it was just free flow. Yeah. And and it was this space together that we can, you know, have these thought-provoking conversations. And of course, you know, I'm sure there were more questions at times than answers. But which is how it should be, I think, right? Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> Yeah, and and I have to say it's it's been so fulfilling for me, and I I feel so honored that people would actually take time out to not only read, mm. you know, the suggested readings, but also you know carve out time and space, and and also trust. It's a level of trust, yeah. right? Because it's like some people are opening up mm-hmm. and talking about their lived experiences or yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. the connections that they had with the topics and themes for that month. And, yeah. you know, we all know too well that this is very personal work, right? And mm-hmm. so we bring our full self. Yeah, it. being vulnerable. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I felt, yeah, like I, I'm, I've i always been very humbled and, and honored that others would join me on this, <laughs> in this endeavor of like coming together and, and sharing that time and space. So Yeah. I mean, and, and I know like you say you haven't been able to keep up with, the pandemic but like i think it's also just amazing that you're able to do it for like five years right since it started 2016 so yeah the anniversary will be (laughs) in november yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean in that sense it's i mean that's already like a a a testament to you know the amount of work that you've done um what was something that you you learned in doing this for five years like i imagine that you know, you picked up a whole lot of useful skills and I'm curious, you know, what was something that you didn't, maybe something unexpected from that whole process? I did gather earlier on how much that type of space was needed. Mm. And considering it was, you know, it's outside of the, you know, traditional concepts of the institution, right? It's, um, it it like made it that much more special. And I, I used to kind of like, be in awe of the fact that folks would sometimes contact me directly and apologize that they couldn't come to a meeting in advance. Uh, and I was just like, wow, like you, 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 first of all, you don't have to apologize. <laughs> it's like, we don't like yeah. no stress. Right. Like I was like trying to avoid stress <laughs> at all costs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cause I'm yeah. like, we have enough of that. Right. We have, we have enough is on our plate, especially again, within the context of the last presidential administration. Yeah. And so like for people to, to hold it in high esteem. Mm. Like I have to say, like, it was, again, it was really humbling. And also like, it was, it was mutual. I, I, like I said earlier too, like I, I think about it and I'm like, it was very much a restorative practice mm-hmm. for me and, and maybe, maybe for others too. And I, I think it was like how much that, that again, that trust, 
that vulnerability, that openness, our ability to continue to challenge each other on our own learning journeys. And at the core of it, I think, you know, and what I think also too about any pedagogy and and learning and, and teaching is like, it's love, right? Like it's, yeah. it's like, there's this like love in action, right? And, and so for me at the time, I remember I had to take a pause for personal reasons and, and I remember my core community, like they just picked up, right? And they were just like, we understand. And, mm-hmm. you know, that level of compassion and understanding. And then also, you know, like, we're happy to step up, right? So mm-hmm. also kind of a true testament of community, right? Like when it's like, right, right, it's right. like just like I, at the time, you know, it was I was kind of the primary person because I somehow like, immediately became the founder, right? <laughs> because it's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I started this. So I, I felt this responsibility. And then, you know, people stepped up, you know, they, they mm-hmm. rose to the occasion. And yeah. and I was like, wow, we're, that's, that's, that's how it continues, right? That's how the work continues, yeah. right? Because it's not only about me, of course. Right, right. And, and that's not even how it started, but still like, I think sometimes these notions of leadership, right, or founders, <laughs> like you know, or whatever you want to call them, like, are like the one that mm. you know pushes something forward. But truthfully, it's like, well, maybe when it's, I guess you would say, kind of like a shared leadership model, that like you know, mm-hmm. when one is not able to, somebody else is is there. So that's something that I very very grateful for too. So. Yeah, well, I hope, hopefully, you know, when it starts up again, I'll try to join whenever, whenever you're ready or. Oh my goodness. Yes, please. <laughs> no, I think that's actually like, I know that's always been, or not always been, I'm sorry. Um, I know as of, as of late, that's been like the bit of a silver lining when we're thinking about our Zoom calls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, aside from yeah, yeah. Between, yeah, right, yeah. That we're able to really have yeah, yeah. folks from different countries, which, you know, like for me too, I'm like, it took me a moment to realize, holy moly, we have over 300 members, I think in total, representing seven different c- countries. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, like this isn't only something that's local, let alone like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. within, you know, the United States. It's like there's interest abroad. And so, yeah, uh, yeah. so I, yeah, I definitely invite you <laughs> and and others too. And so while you were doing all this, were you, were you, I know you right now you're working at the Vincent Price Art Museum. Were you working there this during this whole time as the uh, education program director or? I started working at the Vincent Price Art Museum as the interim education program coordinator in October. Oh, okay. So I've exclusively been working remotely. And of course, there's funny stories to that because I haven't quite met a couple of my co-workers and that's interesting <laughs> so yeah, i've yeah. only communicated and i uh with them either over the phone or you know zoom calls and so yeah it's been you know definitely an interesting experience like only at this point working remotely hopefully one day we'll <laughs> be in the office or in the museum but vpam is on the campus of east los angeles college and so as an academic museum you know when the college reopens then the museum will too right 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 um, yeah i mean i was it was int- it was sort of an interesting i mean I, I was looking at it i never when i lived in la I didn't i never visited it but i was looking at the board and it was like incredibly diverse board and staff so i mean i was curious 
since you just started working there. I, I didn't know when you started, but uh, you know, talking about I was more interested, you know, talking about your work as a museum educator. And so what what you've been doing and yeah, how do you lead these sort of, you know, these sort of educational programs in these different institutions and how do you kind of talk about a lot of these issues that you're interested in in terms of activism and, and art and you know the the more recent terms that's been popular like decolonializing these institutions and foundations. That's a fabulous question. I know that's a, a question that's been ongoing in the field, uh-huh. especially with the, a lot of the DEAI work that's happening. Um, though I'm I'm pretty I'm still relatively new to the to VPAM. Yeah. I've been a huge supporter of it. I've you know visited it. I recall when it was a gallery. Huh. Yeah, before its current location and also like brick and mortar, the, the building itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was an undergrad and I first visited the Vincent Price Art Gallery mm-hmm. with my then professor, mural professor Barbara Carrasco. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar mm-hmm. with um, her and her work, but uh, she is um, this phenomenal storyteller and muralist uh-huh. and did some work with Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers. Okay. Yeah. And is, is still, you know, practicing artist and educator. And so um, she had a, a survey show up at the time. And so it was a lot of her paintings and, you know, kind of work from, from that time up, up until that time. And so, yeah. And so I remember just being kind of in awe of like the fact that I'm like, hey, this is like, this is a neat art gallery and it's showing people of color. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just like, yes. I mean, granted, it, you know, it's it's on East Los Angeles College and East LA and Boyle Heights area has, you know, a rich history. And if you're familiar with, you know, even the work up like in the last five years that VPAM has produced, it's I mean, it's it's definitely now on the map. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, a lot of these solo shows of artists at the time, you know, was maybe their first even solo show. Yeah. You know, now I'm thinking like, holy smoke! You know, like it's 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 such a special place, right? Like where Shizu has shown Patrick Martinez, mm. uh, and it's just like the roster. You know, you go down the roster, and you're just like, wow, these phenomenal yeah, yeah. emerging at the time. Uh, now is st- very very established <laughs> artists of color and local artists at that right and yeah yeah alluded to yes like the when we're thinking about representation it's it's not only in the collections right um, it's not only in the artists that are exhibited but it's also the the workers and and those mm-hmm. in leadership positions and so I'm very proud that I'm a part of a team uh, a small but mighty team and and we're BIPOC folks, <laughs> like we are, like we um, represent the the local community as well as the school community, and it shows in our work. It's it shows in you know the curation, and more recently too, there's a new program, the Museum Studies Certificate Program, uh, uh-huh, yeah, that just kicked off at the that's been you know a partnership between the museum and of course ELAC uh, Certificate Program that really helps to elevate. And, you know, the very basis of it was really thinking about, like, how do we have support systems in place for emerging museum professionals of color? Yeah. And I know that's always been the question. It's like, okay, you know, what about these diversity pipeline programs, right? What about intern? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and and so this is it. Like, and, and through the, you know, the vision and the leadership of the last director who also happened to be the first Latina museum director 
um, of that of VPAM, Pilar uh-huh. Tompkins Rivas, who's now at the Lucas Museum, <laughs> uh-huh. um, incredible work as the chief curator, right? Again, you're like, yeah, you're like yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. like this is very much, you know, what all of these the work that needs to be done, the work that needs to be done, and maybe in part a lot of the answers to these questions that we're still asking, even after how many yeah. years, right? I'm sure, you know, mm-hmm. I have to admit, you know, like. I've been in the museum field for a little over five years now or so. And it, it just occurred to me the other day, I can't call myself emerging anymore. <laughs> but I, um, you know, I'm still, you know, very much in tune with the local arts community, especially yeah, the Latinx yeah. um, arts mm-hmm. community in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's so beautiful to see, you know, my peers, my colleagues, my my friends, <laughs> truthfully, like, holding these positions and also making way for others. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're trying to also invite others to partake. And having, and having that support group and intergenerational sort of knowledge, right? I mean, I, you know, I always think of, um, you know, you look at the histories of all those like New York galleries and it's like, you know, you had Stieglitz who was mentoring all these, all these, you know, other gallerists and, and, and you forget how important it is to have that sort of foundation to lead the way and provide that knowledge, right? Um, and so in that sense, it's important to have all these different programs that, that allow for these, you know, Latinx and, and BIPOC folks to, to have that foundation and, where, you know, figure out how to do things. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit more about what exactly the Museum Studies Certificate Program provides? Absolutely. I mentioned it's a, it's a new program at ELAC, so officially kicked off in fall of 2019. Uh-huh. And it's a seven-course, 21-unit program that you know, any ELAC student can partake in. It does kind of merge multiple departments, so it's art history. And I would say, you know, very much coming from a critical lens, too, anthropology and library sciences, And with this, of course, because it is a community college, a lot of the students would be transferring, right? They can complete the program Mm. and they can transfer on if that's their, you know, education journey. Some folks, however, have come to the program because you can't just take it, the program by itself, right? And, And realizing that some students are using it as an extension of the professional development. Mm. So interestingly enough, especially considering, you know, when you're thinking about accessibility and affordability when it comes to higher ed, you know, community college, you know, you can't beat it. You can't beat those prices, right? Like it's mm-hmm. $46 mm-hmm. a unit. And, yeah. and so yeah. there are some museum professionals that are using this also as an professional development opportunity. Mm. I'm so happy to see it continue to grow and evolve. And there's some just like spectacular faculty, I have to say. I mean, I I do help support, you know, right now uh, the program and provide leadership, especially as in terms of the the events and professional development uh, workshops, as well as support with the internship. So as part of the coursework, Mm -hmm. you would participate in an internship. Uh, right now they're remote, <laughs> so it's definitely like a new yeah, yeah. experience. Yeah, Nevertheless, yeah. I'm really trying to make sure that my many collaborators are, you know, still making it a meaningful experience for these students. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, can move to in person sooner than later. Though the future is in lots of flux. Um, yeah, I guess as we're winding down, I guess one of the things that maybe we could end on, I know your book club, you know, when I was going through the the website, it was really important to ask these critical questions. 
as we read these different kinds of texts. And I'm curious, you know, what are some of the critical questions that you think we should be thinking about as we move into this new presidency and also in this world that is becoming increasingly more connected with forces trying to break those connections and becoming more nationalized and this uh, strangely new globalized world in a world that I don't think was meant for this, wasn't never thought about globalization in this sort of way. That's, yes, <laughs> that is a fabulous question. Uh, qu- talking about questions. And, you know, the one that comes to mind uh, most immediately is thinking, how do we hold ourselves as well as others accountable, especially those in leadership positions or positions of power? And that is something, you know, I continue to ask of myself as well as others, right? And, you know, also thinking about community in particular. I know that's something I keep like kind of circling back to and and realizing more and more, of course, especially uh, last year, how how vital it is. How do we continue to cultivate community? Mm-hmm. And of course, like, I know maybe some folks might have like a, their own definition of the term community in of itself, but thinking about this core group or even kind of thinking about systematically of something that's regenerative Mm -hmm. and I and I think about it too when we're kind of thinking about like not only how community can give to us but like what can we offer too and so kind of that kind of like thinking about as it almost like as a cycle right and and so yeah those are oh my goodness I have to say like I'm constantly asking questions and of course the moment that someone asks me (laughs) like what questions I'm thinking about I'm like oh okay hold on (laughs) let me think about it (laughs) Yeah, too many questions, too many questions fogging in my memory. Too many questions. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, we talked about a lot of different things. And so, yeah, I mean, again, thank you so much for chatting with me. You know, are there any plugs that you want to give out? Anything that you want to talk about that I might have missed? Where You know, where can people find you online? You have so many different platforms I've noticed. Sometimes I'm like, how do you keep track of all these different Instagram accounts and <laughs> And, you know, I, um, yeah, definitely, you know, checking out arts education and social justice book club. There's a website, uh, that you can quite literally Google to scope it out. There's an Instagram account, uh, the handle is AESJ book club. And there's also a Facebook group. Now I have to say, like, I know some folks are on Facebook, so it's like, you know, kind of you know, pick and choose. It's it's fine. Yeah. But yeah, that. And of course, if anybody's interested in learning more about the Museum Study Certificate Program, I would highly encourage them to check out the ELAC website. It's also on the VPAM, uh, vincentpriceartmuseum.org website as well. And what else? Yeah. I mean, I'm on Instagram, but I have to admit, like, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more um, conscious of <laughs> my time on social media. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. my handle is Natalie Sanchez art, <laughs> similar to my email, Natalie Sanchez art at gmail.com. But I also do have little practice. I do. I was doing some crocheting work. So I'm a little on and off about that, but uh-huh, um, yeah, yeah. that was I something that, that yeah. definitely got me through the, <laughs> the quarantine oh yeah <laughs> and, uh, and uh for me it was so sourdough that bread sourdough bread you see it's it's you know it was something <laughs> it was just like let me see what i can do with this now and it was like 
you know, catch this trend <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. or like test out this new hobby. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that one's there is an Instagram account. It's the handle is Nati Studio. It's Nati Dot Studio. So welcome to check that out too. Yeah. All right. Well, again, thanks so much for chatting with me. I was really excited to talk to you. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much. And hopefully I'll be able to visit the museum in the future when things get lifted and when uh, I can travel and when we all could travel. And so yes, yes. I, I look forward to that too. So you can yeah. Visit. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. <laughs> so yeah, until next time. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Siwon Chung. Additional help with editing by Tokyo Hong and Mandy Tong. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show and have the time, I'd appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now. Bye.